The reading is taken from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. And Father, again, we ask you to come speak to us through your word. Lord, as we um, look into the perfect law that gives freedom, help us to continue in it, not forgetting what we hear, but putting it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you're always um, aware as a preacher that when you come to talk, there's a good chance that you're going to feel something of a hypocrite. Um, some subjects, however, present such direct personal challenge that you're tempted to skip over them. Um, uh, but much as I'd like to do that, I'm not going to do that today. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, <laughs> and slow to become angry. Hmm. Uh, if you don't know me at all, I could rarely be described as slow to speak been the case since I was very little. Um, in primary school, I spent a lot of time outside the head teacher's office for talking, essentially, when I was not meant to be. Um, in secondary school, I had quite a hard time with my peers over my overly chattiness. Now I get paid for talking, <laughs> um, for 20 minutes any week, uh, each week anyway. Is that a good thing? I'm not entirely sure. But in terms of being slow to anger, I, I thought I was pretty good at that, actually, right up until the moment I had kids. Um, <laughs> And it's funny, Je Jess and I used to share this internal wall with a family with three kids. And we used to say, well, we used to hear the, the parents sort of bellowing at their children, apoplectic with rage. We used to look at each other, didn't we? And we'd say, oh, we'll never speak to our children that way. We will always be measured and reasonable and calm. <laughs> Cut to last weekend, um, when we were having a particularly challenging Saturday morning with three little people who just seemed seemingly intent on making one another miserable, um, and us really cross. And I came into the living room um, where they all were, and I bellowed. Um, I believe the word I really shouted was furious, wasn't it? That was the, the word that the whole street heard, I think. Um, 
as far as where to go, it wasn't the worst option, I guess. But yeah, like I say, probably wasn't necessary for the whole street to hear it. I was astonished at how quickly I had reached there. Um, sibling conflicts uh, between my kids seem to have a way of doing that to me in particular. Now, this week is week two of a series on the epistle of James. Uh, an epistle is an instructional letter written to a church or two churches. Um, the ones in the New Testament are, were all written in the, the first century AD. And James, the author of this letter, was in fact the half-brother of Jesus. So if Jesus was party to any of these sibling conflicts and bellowing parents, James would have known all about it. And it's interesting that in Mark 3 and in John 7, we hear how James shared the skepticism about Jesus' identity. But that was changed by an encounter with the risen Jesus that we read about in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I was talking about this to an uh, assembly at the Blue School this week. Um, it's one of the pieces of evidence of Jesus' resurrection, that his family, his disciples, who had doubts early on, were utterly convinced about his identity after meeting the risen Jesus. They held true to that, to their deaths. James was stoned to death by the religious leaders for it. And we're looking at this letter because James talks a lot about what it means to live in the way of Jesus, becoming Christ-like, which is part of our vision and task as apprentices of Jesus, to become more like him. And James is a perfect guide for that. He, he knew Jesus intimately, and he led the uh, church in Jerusalem in its embryonic early years as persecution scattered the believers. We read about that in Acts last year. And in this letter, James is now writing to this scattered church who as a consequence is spreading the message, the good news of the gospel across the region, um, which is Jesus's parting commission to them. You will be my witnesses. Do you remember Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth? He was writing and reframing really the teachings of Jesus, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, um, and also drawing from this kind of um, ancient Jewish wisdom literature of Proverbs, um, saying this is what it, it means, to, to, this is what it looks like to live wisely in a difficult, challenging world. Last week was all about how to suffer trials joyfully. We saw uh, about the role of perseverance under pressure as forming us as disciples of Jesus and the critical importance of being community in our experience of suffering and recovery from trauma. Um, uh, we, yeah, just to, to rehash that, the research showed that actually the key aspect, the key factor in recovery from trauma is being part of community to hold you. Um, that, that was a, a fascinating insight, I felt. Um, sorry, it wasn't my insight. That's why I'm saying it's fascinating. <laughs> um, also, um, keeping our eyes on the prize. That's something we looked at last week. And this week we skipped a few verses, verses 13 to 17, chapter 1. James is full of these kind of one-liners and short, snappy teachings. We won't be able to cover them all. But the summary of those verses is that trials and temptations don't come from God. That's what James says. Okay, James makes it clear that it's not God who sends temptations, but he can use them for our good. God doesn't tempt us, but he can use our trials if we come to him in them. So um, let's get stuck in. Um, we'll take this passage in three sections, and then I'll uh, finish by sort of drawing a few applications for it. So uh, verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of 
this. Again, important reminder that James is talking to um, uh, followers of Jesus in community. Um, not individuals, uh, not the secular world. His teachings, as with all of Jesus' teachings, really only make sense in the community of disciples. Everyone should be quick to listen. And obviously a lot of importance has been placed on listening skills in recent years. It's always been important, hasn't it? But there's a huge amount of literature and, and training available now. Uh, but when it comes to being like Jesus, listening has always been a fundamental activity. In the Old Testament, God is described as the God who hears, who listens to his people. He knows the longings of our hearts, and he longs for his people to hear him. The most well-known daily Jewish devotion from Deuteronomy, um, uh, 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 we'll say this daily, the Shema begins, hear, O Israel. And Jesus himself was a great listener. You know, one of the key um, aspects of listening well is to ask questions of people, isn't it? Jesus is recorded asking 307 questions. He answered, he asked a lot more questions than he gave answers. Um, you know, that's the omniscient God. He's not asking people because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking people so they feel heard. God hears people. We um, could say a lot about this, but I'll, I'll leave it with this. Hands up if you've ever regretted something that you've said. Okay, that's most of the hands. Hands down. Hands up if you've ever regretted being too good a listener. Okay, you know, you just got carried away. You showed a bit too much empathy and love. <laughs> okay, you get the point. Okay, so everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, so obviously in a, a challenge for externalizing extroverts like me. Um, of course, introverts are not immune as well. I used to think, you know, particular words were the problem when I was, when I was a kid. You know, there were a dozen words, bad words, that which I shouldn't use, and I didn't. But Jesus talked less about certain words and more about the overall effect of our speaking. You know, it's possible to completely destroy someone with very regular, inoffensive words. And this is something that I'm, I sort of, something I'm trying to teach my children. I'm trying to teach my children that this is a, a fact rather than to destroy people with regular, inoffensive words. Um, words can do enormous damage. Um, physical wounds actually heal relatively quickly, mostly. Words can leave lasting wounds. And it's not more, it's not that more words is necessarily sinful, but Proverbs 17 makes it clear that wise people are restrained with their words and are even-tempered. The two, the two are linked. The closed mouth gathers no foot, as they say. And James is going to talk uh, more about this in his letter later, so we'll come back to it. Uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, here's a question. How long is your nose? Um, that may feel a little bit like a personal question. But in Western culture, to describe somebody as having a big nose is an insult, isn't it? Associated with showing unwelcome interest or even dishonesty like Pinocchio. But in the Bible, the opposite is true. Here's why. Exodus 34, verse 6, God is described like this. Um, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love 
and faithfulness. Bible Project have done a brilliant series on this phrase, unpacking each of these words. It's the main repeated description of God in the Old Testament. And the original Hebrew, which we translate slow to anger, literally means long of nose. So this comes from the idea of when you get cross, your face burning with anger. And when somebody becomes really angry, it says in the scriptures, their nose burned hot. Um, So for example, when um, Potiphar thought uh, Joseph had tried to sleep with his wife, his nose burned hot. Um, An angry person in Hebrew is described as a hot nose. Um, Conversely then, a person who is long of nose is slow to anger. That is, it takes a long time for their whole nose to get hot, which is good. Um, Proverbs 19 verse 11 literally translates, a person's wisdom is their long nose. Um, So they are slow to anger. So once again, I ask you, how long is your nose? And notice that James isn't saying that anger is always wrong. God gets angry about injustice. God's anger, though, is a result of his love for us, others, for us. We see that in the, in the cross, God's anger at sin and his love for people. But human anger and sin often go together because our anger is usually self-centered or resentful or tinged with pride or malice or envy. And it's not just overt or violent anger. It can be passive-aggressive anger too, can't it? Either way, our anger is rarely a vehicle for God's divine justice, which is what verse 20 says. Uh, So, uh, one quick and two slows. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, like Jesus. Uh, Verses 21 to 25 then. Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James is drawing a contrast here. He's saying that this is not simply about um, trying harder. It's about receiving God's word in us. This is not about self-improvement. It's about letting God work in us. And this is what prayer ministry is about. You know, you may wonder why we create this space and we invite week in, week out. We say, do come and receive some prayer ministry. It's not about an omission of weakness or inadequacy. Well, in in a sense of something to be embarrassed about. It's about obeying God and saying to him, I want you to do something in me which I can't do by myself. That's what it's about. It's about surrender. It's about asking him to transform us by his Holy Spirit. Um, as he says he will, and as so many of us have um, testimonies that God has uh, worked in us in that way. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like somebody who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away, immediately forgets what he is like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So the image here, um, remember, is of a seed being planted, and that seed is God's word. And I think that suggests that this transformation is something that will take time. It's not like downloading a file. Um, I think I do this with reading. I find a book, 
um, about something that I want to become more productive, say, and I read it, and I agree with it, and therefore I assume I will do it. Except, of course, I don't. And we talked about this in our practices series in January, February, if you were with us for that. We don't think ourselves different. We are creatures of habit. We put into practice by repeated behaviors, the so-called long obedience in the same direction. That's what changes our behaviors ultimately. It's about perseverance through trials and challenges, which we talked about last Sunday. So this is the contrast that James draws. The man with the cloudy mirror. Um, 2,000 years ago, shiny surfaces were rare, and they were much lower quality than they are today, mostly just sort of beaten metal. Um, He uh, observes, goes away, and forgets. That's verse 23, 24, whereas the believer in the word looks into it, perseveres, and acts. So you see the contrast. Observing, going away, and forgetting, or looking into, persevering, and acting. And again, the idea here is this, this uh, perfect law that gives freedom. This is a countercultural idea for us today, where we are taught that freedom is throwing off of of laws and rules and restrictions. Um, Of course, it's ridiculous because it's laws that enable us to enjoy freely. Um, Just think of what would happen if there were no rules on the road. Um, Or, um, you know, All Souls FC are playing a game this afternoon, um, our first game against uh, Christchurch W4. You can come along and watch at 3 p.m. at Coles Gillette Corner, pitch two. Um, Quick plug. but imagine if that was played without any rules, if there were no rules. We've actually employed a referee for the game, just to be um, careful. Throwing off rules does not automatically give freedom. But remember, of course, God doesn't give his, he doesn't give his law as a means of salvation, but as a lifestyle for those who have been saved. We're not talking about obeying our way into God's good books. We can never do that. This is about how we respond as followers of Jesus to his salvation. It's about discipleship, not justification. Last two verses, and then we'll get into some application. Uh, Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, becoming like Jesus does not mean separating ourselves from the world. It means getting stuck into the mess of the world while not accepting its values. Now, this could be an uncomfortable way to live because it means being out of step with the world, which causes friction. I think the best summary of these verses I heard was this. Basically, don't rant, do something. Don't rant, do something. Being a keyboard warrior achieves nothing. Um, you know, again, we talked about this before. Don't just look at the news and despair and do nothing about it. Um, outrage doesn't do any good. See the need and act. You know, widows and orphans were the most vulnerable in that day when James was writing. Maybe it's someone else today. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's still widows and orphans. So let's take a moment to think about the practical use of this and how we put it into practice. Now, John Ortberg references two pieces of research. The first one was carried out by William Menninger. Um, I think I'm saying that right, which suggests that 80% of the time that people lose their jobs is not for technical incompetence, but for relational or emotional incompetence. 
issues with their boss or fellow employees. The second was by James Lynch, showing that lonely or isolated people lead shorter lives. His point was this, if we take James 1.19 seriously, you will go a long way to keeping your job and living longer. This is God's wisdom for our lives today, being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. It has demonstrable benefits for your life today. You know, our vision of becoming like Jesus isn't all sacrifice and hardship. We seek to do this as well because it's the best way to live um, in accordance with the maker's instructions. Life, God's way, makes sense, especially in the context of community. You know, mostly people's problems with Jesus's way stems from how it impacts their personal freedom. But living in relationship is only possible by limiting our personal freedoms, our individual freedoms. And, and our failure to do this as a culture is leading to the, the greatest levels of, of, of relational breakdown and loneliness and isolation. Being your best self isn't always the same thing as being the best for those around you. Another sermon for another day. But how do we persist, as James says, taking our eyes off our own distorted image of ourselves and looking intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continuing in it, as verse 25 says. Well, first, what are you doing to look into that law? What are you doing to let God's word be planted in you and grow? Do you have a regular way of reading scripture or studying it with others or meditating on its truth. Um, maybe you did before, but you stopped. Or maybe your current patterns have kind of grown stale and need refreshing. Have a think about that. Ask someone about that. Ask me about that. At the heart of it, James is offering us this choice between kidding ourselves and being honest with ourselves. Either trying to do it our way or submitting to doing it his way. The first he describes essentially as self-deception. The second as a road to blessing. Paul tells us in Romans to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is how we let God renew our minds. By his word and by his spirit. But we have to give him space to do that in our lives. Ask God to renew your mind. Make that your prayer. Get into his word. Gaze into that perfect law that gives freedom. Ask the Holy Spirit to grant you understanding and humility to receive it. To let it become planted deep in your life. Try to listen a little more. Talk a little less. I'm going to try that this week. And above all else, Keep asking God for a longer nose.